We are in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, and we're continuing to talk about it here on the Survivor's Guide to Life podcast, and I'm going to pose a question that we will answer today. What is the difference between debilitating fear and self-preserving, self-safeguarding fear? How can we have fear that is not virulent, but vigilant? We will get to that today. And so, hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Pia Bernstein. Today, we continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, or Peter, as he likes to be called, yeah. is a coach and mentor with almost 50 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, mm. the stuff of today's real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that Jenny's quoting from, really, is a uh, article. Uh, was it uh, a op-ed piece in the New York Times today? By, uh, what's her name? She's a Susan Goober, and it was actually last week on the 15th. It was? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just saw it today. But anyway, uh, we, the reason I say that is every day that I pick up the paper to look at uh, op-ed or health pieces, they're saying very many of the same things we're saying to people about um, this, this particular crisis. And it's very interesting because each, they say it in a little different way. This lady is an extremely academic, academic English professor who is suffering from cancer. You know, I've seen others, that, uh, what's his name, David Brooks, his beautiful articles. Um, he does too, in the New York Times. And also. he also is a really good writer, and he's a little bit more academic, I don't know if he's that academic. Not so much academic, I think he's a little more... Like philosophical. A little more philosophical. Very good. Yeah. Very good. But I read articles every day, and uh, it confirms to me, it gives me an update about what's going on with people, and what the current thinking is. Um, what really uh, strikes me when I get out in public is how severe the shutdown is in, in our society and how people are so severely affected. Um, and I talk to some of my friends who are nurses and doctors and people involved in the front lines. And it's really interesting because where we live in Sonoma County isn't, isn't really hard hit at all compared to what you read about New York and New Jersey. And we are grateful. Yeah, and very grateful. But yet the shutdown is just as severe. Economically, it's just as Absolutely severe. just as severe. I check with my friends that work in hospitals, and they say we're not overloaded at all. And it's nothing like what you're reading in the newspapers as far or what you're reading about or listening, on to, listening to the news on TV. It's not like that. Um, and these people are ER type, you know, they're emergency type people, they, they, jump, they know how to really engage, and they're saying it's not moving that fast, it's not, what's yeah, happening here is an overkill. Yeah. And they're very strong about it, they feel that this thing is uh, taking a tremendous toll. I think what really strikes me at this point is, is uh, people have such a tremendous fear of the virus but there seem to be much more concerned about their finances and that they don't have money, they don't have work, their rents are due, and yet the, the landlords are collecting rents, but these people don't have work, to, they don't have any work, they're not allowed to work. 
there's, so it's a very uneven situation economically, which I think probably is going to have to be modified. As long as people aren't allowed to work, how can they pay rent or mortgages? Or buy food. Or buy food. Yes. Um, and you know, this thing is, it's a, I mean, people are, they're not straight, they're distressed. Yeah. Um, and it, it hurts me to see it, to be honest with you. I, I feel the discomfort of these folks. And I know this is, this is very hard on them, and I, I, I get that. But what we've been talking about is something for a long time now about living in an extraordinary reality. And this show is about what we've learned about from living in an extraordinary reality. And what we, and many folks that we've had on as, as guests or uh, um, that we've referred to, that's their calling in life. They live in the extraordinary realities where life, dying, and death are part of their frontline work every day. And it takes a toll. We're not saying it doesn't, even if they're really professional, you know, professional and this is what they do. And I'm not saying we're professional and move cold. Even if this is what they do for mm -hmm. a living. Um, it takes a toll. And we've talked about, and we do talk about, how these first responder types and frontline workers need to learn how to take care of themselves. But we've been immersed in the extraordinary reality for a long time. You know, we deal with death and dying and sickness in our work, in our personal lives. We know what uh, ambiguous grief is and, that, and loss has to do with dealing with these things while people are they're still alive, but they're in the death, they're they're in the dying process. My wife is one of them. Um, my mother's another one. She's almost 95. But we also help an awful lot of people that come to our institute that are dealing with very similar, uh, very similar, very, very heavy similar. hits. Yeah. And it is a different reality. Um, what we've seen too is that uh, folks that have avoided that reality, who and all of us have done this at some point. We don't want to admit that we're mortal. We don't want to look at our the difficulties in life, the painful things in life that. Um, <laughs> aren't very pretty, and yet everybody is going to be dealing with that at some point in their life, and yet that's a very hard concept to get across to people until it's in their face. Yeah, which is well, happening now. And you know, one thing about being involved as a calling in your life or a profession, you learn, you learn a lot about yourself when you're in the midst of it, and you really have to learn to cope. Not an easy task, because um, we go in with good intentions, we're caring people, and yet, after a while, we're thrown up against ourselves because we don't have the control. And that, that becomes so clear after a while that we're not in control. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling to be involved, to go through. And then you begin to see yourself as you really are, mm -hmm. not as you would pretend to be or profess to be. Um, very painful process. And yet, if you're going to really do good work and care for folks and be there for them in their difficulties, where you're giving, and they can't really give back much because they're sick. Um, it's a, it's, it takes a toll on you. We absorb the energies of it. it, it we're, we're thrust into a situation that most people would go, no thank you. I don't even want to look at it, and I don't want to hear about it. And yet there are people like myself and you and others, this is what we've chosen, or it's been chosen for us by the higher power, God, in, my, in our case. But I believe that, you know, it's a very difficult thing because it involves a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. We happen to be involved in the healing of it and helping people find 
relief and hope and recovery. That's what we're really big that's on. That's what we're committed to. And that's yes. what we're committed to. And yet there are other situations where, that we're involved in. We're just basically showing love and care and giving people encouragement and support on their journey to the end of their life. I mean, we're, we, see the, we see the whole spectrum, but it always involves suffering and pain and struggle. And interesting when I say pain, I mean, I look at people like my wife, she's not in any pain. She's not suffering. I do, mm -hmm. because I'm there with her and I love her. And I still have to go on my life. I have other people to take care of. I've got to stay in pretty decent shape in spite of it all, um, because I want to be there for her. Yes. And I have to be there for other people, too. It's a very difficult undertaking, and yet we do it for other people, too. So do you. Um, so does everybody who works at our institute does. Um, and most of the people we surround ourselves with do the same thing. But then when you step out of our world and you take a look at this thing that's happening with the virus now, it is an extraordinary level, uh, an extraordinary reality on such a massive level. It's a, not even an epidemic, it's a pandemic. Um, I just saw a, somebody sent me a, a photo of herself from Singapore, and she's got a mask on. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen them all over the world. But I, I look at this and I go, everyone now is thrust into this extraordinary reality, not by choice. No. And they don't have the, the arsenal of past experience to draw upon to give them the ability to know how to cope. Um, and it's, it's, a diff it's like a crash course in dealing with life, death, sickness, fears of things. Uh, that we didn't think would affect us. I think this is common. And in our society anyway, and I can't speak for everybody in the world, because we know people in Africa that don't live like us. We have people that are friends of ours there, and in Mexico. And, but in the United States especially, and I know in other parts of the world too, we have put so much emphasis, uh, and our values are so oriented toward security and control. We spent a, a good amount of time in our last podcast, number 72, about material, uh, emphasis on material, on tangible things, and uh, the possibility of making a shift to focusing more on the intangibles. Well, you know, our, during these times, it's one of the things we talk about in our papers that we write, and, and we've been through, helped other people through other crises, we had 10 things to pay attention to. Um, but I, and I, I will get to that, but I really believe that um, uh, we all have done that. We all have looked to give, get control and live in a, have a, a routine that gives us a sense of control of something. Um, we all want some kind of financial security or, or physical security. That's not abnormal. No, and it's not, it's not that we're not saying that that's wrong or bad. We're uh, just saying it's so emphasized, it's been so overemphasized yeah. to the exclusion yeah. of other realities that aren't quite as tangible, and yet they are really more foundational than all those physical and material things. And usually we don't find that out until it's stripped away from us or challenged. Um, and then all of a sudden you wake up and realize, well, I have, a, I have a strong arsenal about how to make money, how to save money, how to build my 401ks and so again prepare for retirements or build my, my career and my ambitions, excuse me. And we put so much emphasis on that particularly in our society, that those things make us, by doing that, what really happens is it sets us up to be very fragile. Mm -hmm. Because when 
crises happen, and they've been happening for, I read the Bible, it's been happening for thousands of years. These epidemics and diseases have hit people. It's not like this is the first time. It may be to this this massive level. To me, I've never seen it this big before. But I will say, when I read the Bible, they have. They did. And they get through it. And there's the lessons that they learn. Um, and they and you read about it, and you go, this has been going on a long time. But they're closer, like our friends in Africa, they're closer to survival. They're closer to the things, putting emphasis on the things that aren't necessarily tangible because they don't have that much. So when things hit, they're almost much more resilient. I think about our, our beloved friends. We used to take, we were very involved with uh, orphans from Rwanda, and they were uh, survivors of the genocide, um, the Asante kids, and they, we, we were involved with about 33 of them for a number of years um, since they were little kids. We loved them. They were a blessing to us. They very rarely, until they knew you would talk about what they experienced and went through, and yet they were so positive and so encouraging and so capable and they had a wisdom that went far beyond their years in many ways and you wonder how that happened and then you hear about eventually what they went through what they witnessed and it's you almost takes your breath away to hear the horrors that they experienced from little little babies little children that it's hard to believe that and yet they don't walk around discouraged, despairing, um, filled with self-pity. I rarely saw that. And they're so positive and embracing of life. Uh, I love being with them. They're very, it was very healing to me to, to, to be with them, to, to give to them, to care for them. That really was uplifting to me. But I used to look at them and these little kids, they had more character and more strength than a lot of the adults I know in our society. That's, that's not the outcome that we would expect looking at them that way. Not from our society. Let's talk a little bit more about that after our break. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Peter and I are again talking about the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, this extraordinary reality that we all find ourselves in now, and how it can be a confrontation, this time can confront us as to where we have put our value and our priorities in life. Yeah. Uh, in our last podcast, 72, we talked about material, tangible things, and how an overemphasis can can uh, blind us to some of the true values of the intangible. Just before our break, Peter was talking about a group of young kids from Rwanda and Burundi uh, that uh, we were involved with supporting and helping, and how the horrible genocide, you would think, would have scarred them and possibly broken them for life, and in fact, the the opposite is what's true. I think so. I think it's one of our favorites. Patrick is a real survivor. <laughs> <laughs> Takes care of his little butt. But I saw him so many times. 
sacrificed things that, for, that he could benefit from to take care of his fellow, um, what do you call them? They were orphans. And they're, particularly the kids from Burundi who were much less developed because of... They were not only emotionally or intellectually, they were physically, physically stunted. And I remember times that I saw a sacrificial caring that I rarely see in the United States. These were young kids that could do that. Um, I was. I loved Patrick. Of course, is one of my favorites. But he was also one of the strongest survivors out of them all. Yes, he was. And he was a real celebrity and star. These were all singers and dancers that came and supported their orphanage. They called their school in uh, Rwanda by uh, performing at different churches and, uh-huh. and raising uh, funds to help support the the schools and and the. So other they stayed here home. for quite a bit of time. They stayed with us quite a bit mm-hmm. at our. Uh, I say at a ranch, but the in-between ranch, and they we, they had a great time, and so did we. It was a very healing time. They had a sensitivity to my wife before we did, and they knew something was wrong, and they just had this sense, intuitive sensitivity, how to come alongside, and just they used to literally just be with her, and not just comfort whatever she needed. They would just pick it up very sensitively and not intrusively, and just take care of things with her. I was amazed to see it. Later on we realized that she had had earlier strokes that didn't show up in testing too much later. These kids picked up things like that. They mm-hmm. had that intuition. Amazing. But they live so much closer to survival than so we do. Kind of elemental parts of life. They do. And they, I know there, I, I got uh, some texts from a, a number of them this weekend and some pictures, and they are struggling with the COVID crisis there too. Mm-hmm. And yet, I know that for them, that's not so far off of their normal routines. And it's not feeling like a crisis to them, probably no. in the way that it is for some. No, the way. But for us, it hits us. It's hitting hard. Yeah. As far as what the the masses are re- reacting to and responding to, they have a long way to go because this is a crash course. In reevaluating your life, reevaluating your values, looking at things that you haven't taken time to evaluate or look into that really needed to be for so long because you're so busy earning, getting ahead, surviving. Um, we've all done it, so you can't sit here. I know I can't sit here and be uh, critical. Um, in my last my number of years now, I certainly have not been in the same frame of mind that I used to be, but I used to be just like that. Probably more advanced and uh, successful than a lot of people. And boy, did I emphasize the material things, because I like nice things. And today, I don't say I don't like them and appreciate them. It's just that I know there's other things that take precedent. So I, we know that. Jenny knows that. Many folks that we know who are caregivers, first responders, nurses, doctors, social workers, uh, caseworkers, people that we know from hospice, various hospices. Um, the caregivers from other countries. We have a team of five that work for us and one of us from Fiji and her husband. It's amazing how they have a, 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 an openness to this kind of thing that's so much more intuitive. And as strong as they are, they have this openness and this vulnerability that is something that we need to have more of. And um, they're much easier to be with many times. I'm not, I know I'm generalizing, there's plenty of problems that aren't. The folks that we know though, honestly, boy, when something's going on, you know it. Um, and I, and it, I know one of my 
Martha, who's on our team, she's brilliant. Used to be a teacher in Fiji for 27 years. Mm. And now she's a caregiver. What a remarkable caregiver. But her husband, who was a professional rugby player, and then he, he was a manager of a, a wine distribution company, chose to become, come and become a caregiver. He is such a fine man. Strong, capable, and yet he's right now grieving. His father passed away about a week and a half ago. He's so open about it. And he's so accessible. Let me, let me stop you for a moment and ask you, how is that a benefit? How You've said that that's valuable, and I agree with you. But how is it a benefit or help for them to be open and vulnerable in difficult situations? What does that allow to have happen? Well, I think it, frankly, I think it promotes resilience and healing. I believe in it. Uh, and I'm one of those strong guys anyway, strong types. And yet... My, what I learned over many years is that the real strength didn't just have to do with my physicality or my aggressiveness. It had to do with something that I, could, that I was able to discover with mentoring and help. And that was the real strength had to do with allowing myself to be vulnerable at times too, and weak, and open and receptive and responsive, to ask for help, not just give it all the time. And I realized it took a real strength to do that. And, uh, but the thing that it also does is it promotes healing. Um, I know that I've, I've been in a number of situations in my life and other people where the grief was very strong. And what I saw was when it hits, it's as strong for me as anyone. But yet, I'm able to stay with it, I'm able to respond to it physically and emotionally in ways that gets me through it and gets me to the other side. Um, I know that not everybody does that. And I'm one of those people that is very, if there's an emergency or crisis, I don't run away from it, I engage with it. And those are my values and my character. So um, I'm going to feel more. I'm going to be involved in more. I'm going to learn more about myself, I'll tell you that, um, than the folks that would stay away from it or run away. And we also have found many people run away and don't want anything to do with it. I don't blame them. It's just that it's just not a way of life for me. If I see somebody in trouble or I see a, a crisis or a need or emergency, I'm one of the people that I'm right there. But I've been, by doing it for so long, I've also built a certain resilience and a capability to know that I've been through things like this before and I know how to get through it. I know the effect that it's going to have on me. I know what my body's going to feel like. I know what I'm going to have to do to get my, to diffuse that distress later, the effects of it. And um, I don't have to, defend myself and pretend. I know what to do to get through it. And um, that's my arsenal. We've discovered it again. We used it in the last, the Great Recession. And we saw people absolutely in paralysis and being terrified. They were stripped of the things that meant so much to them. We also saw them bullied by the banks. Horrible. And I remember we watched it for a while in our community. I said, we've got to do something about it. How did I know? I've been there before. And I realized I know what it takes to get through this, and these people need a new set of responses. So we wrote a book, we published papers, we did workshops, we did an awful lot of things to get people to find a new set of reactions and responses that are more appropriate for the situation now. Instead of falling back into paralysis and being terrified and being ineffectual at a time when they really needed to, they needed to step up to the challenge and make some new moves, and it wasn't easy. 
But I remember I looked at it and go, I've seen this before. I've been through this before more than once, and I know what it takes to get through it. So once you've, when you've done this enough times, you, it, it's never easy. It's just that it's familiar. You know that there is going to be strengths that you've found through these horrible crises that you've been through or that I've had to deal with with myself and with so many thousands of people that I've helped recover. But I've also gone through traumas with them. And during the time, trauma is trauma. And it is overwhelming at the time. Things are out of control. It's life or death. It moves fast. And it is terrifying. And if you're familiar with it, I know first responders live in that space. They work. I do too. It's amazing what you're able to do in the midst of all of that. And if you're facing death or you're facing the horrors of dying and when you're with someone, you know how to be there with them. Now, it's a, it's a very different experience. It's not pleasant. But yeah, in the midst of it, there's so many things that you could discover so quickly. And um, I know so many times, and it's not a time when, I don't care how much training you've had, the situation is not, you're not in control. And you know, it's an overpowering, overwhelming type of experience. That's trauma. But, and the normal emotions of fear aren't, no, they're not the norm. They're so much more intensified and, and your nervous system is in such high alert. And at the same time, if you do it enough, you know how to function in, the, in that mode. And I, I got to say, I do most of the time. Many of my friends that I know, people that I think a lot of, they do it too. They are like me, and they, they have their own specialties in it. They're fabulous, many of them. Uh, I think a big Steve is a nurse. He looks like Mr. Clean, he's old muscle bound. I never saw a nurse look like that before, but he's incredible as a nurse. And he's like that. He's the ER, ICU type. And man, when there's something to deal with, he's right there. And he's loving and caring and very strong at the same time. Most of the people I know are like that. And if they're not, and they're going to be around us, they're going to get like that. And we're going to train them how to do it. Um, not everybody can do it. Um, some folks are very regimented and they're trained, like young nurses. And we've seen a number of them. They're not really cut out for the work. They're not always cut out for it. They have all the intellectual training and schooling. But yet, when it comes to really knowing how to respond and be involved, I see more of them not come through. Um, that's not the, those aren't the gifted ones. There's many that are. And they have hearts of gold. They're right there. They know what to do, but they have a caring heart. And they are empathic-type people. So they're able to give in the midst of all that in such appropriate ways. And this is, whether they're younger or older, I've seen it. So most of the people I know can do it. Well. Okay, so I'm telling you about people that live in this extraordinary reality and that they've built a life around it. And they take a beating. We feel our wounds and our scars and our pain for sure. We just learn how to deal we have to learn how to deal with it. But what we're seeing now is an incredible an entire society being confronted with this and we're seeing how ill equipped so many of them are. And um, we just had a signal? We just had a signal. Yeah, we're almost at a break. Mm -hmm. I think we can talk about that when we come back. But I think that there's going to be good that comes out of this. Now, I can't say what it's going to be. But I know I have hope because I've been through these things before. And I've seen people go through a lot of reevaluations. And one of the things that I always look for is people beginning to care for their fellow man instead of just taking care of themselves and 
in that survival level where they don't care about anybody but themselves. I think we've pretty much been in that now for the last, since the beginning of this crisis. I see it modifying a little bit. Um, I'd like to see it modify a whole lot more where the barriers come down and people begin to realize, and this is very healing, that as bad as it is for you, there's other people you just look around, they're having it so much worse. worse than you. That's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. I was just telling Peter that, that the way he talked through in our last segment, the value of embracing, accepting very painful, difficult circumstances, going through them and allowing them to uh, teach you more about yourself more about what it means to to approach life and other people in in a way that's more meaningful and more substantial with more character uh, making a real difference I those are my words I would just if you encourage you to, to think again about what Peter was talking about in our last segment um, not sure where you would like to go now I know one thing we did talk about is that in this extraordinary reality uh, of people who face life and death and sickness every day, yeah. uh, aside from the, the people we've talked about, uh, might be this article uh, that we picked up, people who are surviving with cancer. Uh, they're living in this place too. An extraordinary reality, yeah, yes. so it was, it's true. I, I want to say one thing so people don't think I'm just being judgmental. Everybody's, we, we're not the kind of people who profess you're not going to feel, we don't feel what other people feel. That's not true. We get wounded, we feel scars and wounds and pain also. Just like anybody else. Our responses to it are different. But that doesn't mean we don't feel the same things. And for those folks that um, run away, Yes, I'm not the most empathic person about them because I look at them and it's the truth. I'll go, where are you going in the face of all this? Try to stop somebody. Sometimes you can. Um, if Jenny used to be a runner. She's mm -hmm. not. Yeah, and I remember when she was younger, I was able to really stop her and yeah. uh, turn her around. But she was smart enough to realize something was needing to happen. But there's other people that... I, I, I've seen this, and this is a part that's unfortunate. A lot of the folks that run always find their way to justify what they've done. It's either somebody's fault or... Oh, they feel shame. That's... They feel shame, and when you feel shame, you don't want to feel that. You want to turn it around and put it on somebody else. Yes, or they feel such fear, but it's it, they also feel the shame that you're talking about. Yeah. So instead of admitting that, like, oh, and we've all felt that. See, that's the thing. That's the other thing about being open and vulnerable, like yeah. you said. If you can be open and vulnerable, you find out that everyone goes through that. Exactly. So it's not like we haven't felt it, it's just our reactions to it are different. It's like almost owning it and taking some responsibility of, i got to get through this and it's important for me to be here for that person or in this situation, period, as painful as it may be. And that probably is, a, is a, the one different, that is a different reaction instead of wanting to run, and we all have, part of us wants to. Um, the other part goes, don't 
stick it out. The person needs you. The situation is calling for your involvement, and you got to be with them. And that's all there is to it. They're in a crisis. It's an emergency. They're facing life and death and sickness that could take them to the end of their life. The situations could be so dangerous. This is where you're where you got to be. Now, I can understand why people want to run away. I, we all feel that too. The key really is, instead of blaming everybody else and saying, well, I ran because of this and it was this person's fault to that. I and mean, I've seen that and heard that many times. People will do a lot of things sometimes to justify that behavior because they are so ashamed mm -hmm. and so fearful. Um, that to me is an, is an extremely unfortunate reaction. Um, I don't think that they're really understanding there is a fear that's helpful and mm -hmm. makes us vigilant. Right. And then there's a fear that's vir vir virulent, 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 debilitating fear. And that's different. That's yes. like this totally overwhelming, destructive fear that has a voice of its own and that runs your entire show. And vigilant is something where we need to have today, and that has to do with being taking the precautions it's called for. How far people go, that's a different story. Um, and I frankly have a different take on it. Uh, I don't, I, sometimes I see overkill, and at times I see that it needs, more needs to be done. But a lot of times I know in the area we live it's really being overdone right now. And yet, um, there is a, 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 a fear that brings about precautions, washing your hands, using, you know, a certain kind of uh, uh, disinfectant and and cleaning the surfaces, and if you go into a public place, honestly, these days, mm -hmm. I could see where you wear, I wear a face mask, I hate them, but I do wear them. But there's other times when we're out in public, I'm, I'm not gonna wear it. And I see many people are so afraid to even step out their door without wearing a mask. There is a, an extreme on one end or the other mm -hmm. of being foolhardy and being very, very panic-driven. And yes, there's healthy fear right somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Taking those precautions. I know. And you know, everybody's, there's, it's happening on such a great scale, an important scale. I've also seen people not be very nice to each other. They're just really out for themselves and protecting themselves. I've seen that in every crisis. I also think there may be some modifying happening. I expect to see the barriers begin to come down eventually and people begin to genuinely care about each other again. I think more and more that is happening. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I don't see enough of it, to be honest with you. But I know I've seen it before in other crises that will begin to happen. That's a good thing that comes out of it. I see people reevaluate their lives during these things. It's, these crises also wind up slowing you down and it takes away your routines and you're left, you know, you got to kind of, you, you're left looking at yourself. Not easy. No. And I think people who are used to structure or corporate folks that are, you know, they have the corporation take care of it, all of a sudden they're on their own. Yeah, and then, they don't know how to self-start. And that's that's a loss. It's a handicap. You can learn it, though. This isn't something that you can't learn. You can learn it. You can learn it. The other thing, too, is that so much now is out of our control. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you can say control is a bad thing, but or over-control is a bad thing, but structure. Some structure to daily life when so much of our regular life has been disrupted can be a helpful thing. Yeah, and I, and I do believe there's healthy control too. And when we feel like there's no control, then we've got to start looking for things that we can have some control over. 
building new routines, um, doing new things that we haven't done before, uh, beginning to, to find ways that we can manage our environment and our life a little better, even under very unusual circumstances like now. That, to me, is important, um, and we do need to do that. I also know, you know, we're talking about the, the um, COVID-19 crisis, but the financial crisis is beyond, I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. I've never heard yeah. 22 million people filing for unemployment in three weeks. Yeah. It's very serious. I've never seen so many businesses closed down, and I know many of them are not going to survive this. And There's starting be to be so many announcements of businesses that are saying we won't be coming they back. They won't be coming back. We have a neighborhood business that, uh, three twins. Three Twins is not coming back. They have announced that they will close they were the business. They were a popular company. Popular company. So it is happening. Oh, you're going to see it more and more. And you know, it's a heartbreak because these people work hard. And they do everything they can to get ahead. And all of a sudden, it's not doable anymore. They can't sustain. Mm -hmm. um, that hurts me to see that. Because we're not talking about people that are just living off everybody. These are hard workers. They're hard and the margins were narrow and now they can't Well, continue. that's the thing for a lot of businesses. The margins are very narrow. Yeah. So if things don't work out, that margin gets wiped out, whatever they do get out of it, very quickly. And I have many friends that have businesses, smaller businesses, that work hard. They've been rather successful and they're, they're wiped out already. Yeah. They're wiped out. They're finding ways... The one people I know, many of them, are finding ways to survive, but they're, they're getting by by the skin of their teeth I mean, right now. to be now. very creative, and this whole scenario is true for individuals and families, too. They've been living on, we've been living on narrow margins, and now uh, to survive we have to get very creative. Creative comes, creativity comes out of, I've never seen it as, when you have suffering and pain and struggle and things are stripped away, and you look at the history of things like that, you will see creativity come like you've never seen before. And that is what is going to happen again. I know it. It's happening already. Um, and I appreciate that. It always, I love it. <laughs> I love seeing that. Um, but at the same time, I am well aware of the, the, the struggles that people are having right now. My heart goes out to them. It's also a very uncomfortable time. Very. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people yeah. are, the whole, the environments, yeah. the total communities are shaking. Yeah. And very unsteady. You go to a supermarket, you go to... Just think about the people who are working in the supermarkets, what they're being exposed to. And they're willing to do it. We have people that we know, um, that we think a lot of, the very hard workers that work for Target. Mm -hmm. And man, he's exposed to things every day. every day. I don't hear him complaining. Nope. No. And I hear him doing a heck of a job. So I look at these things and I know the values that I have. I like the... the va I value hard work. I value engaging with the situations. Um, also knowing this is another thing that comes out of fighting a lot of battles. There are battles sometimes that we can't win. And the real smart folks that I've seen, and I've been a survivor and I've known a lot of them, especially through my childhood, there is a time to realize you can't win and you gotta let go. Even though it's unjust, unjust and unfair, it's coming to the realization that this particular battle you're not going to win. And in fact, it's taking too, hard, too heavy a toll. Sometimes you've got to let go and know you'll come back. You know, save yourself for there'll be a better day. And this one is, and when you're really discerning and smart and you learn how to fight and battle, you know, when to let go and um, retreat and save yourself and come back for another day. That's also a very important part of knowing how to be a good fighter and meeting these difficult challenges. 
So I think that at this point, all of these qualities are going to begin to show themselves more and more in people. And we and all of these qualities are a part of what we consider resilience. Absolutely. And we've been talking about it for a long time on all these episodes, about how to find resilience during struggle and suffering and pain. Well, the qualities that we've begin that we've realized, that's the only way we've realized them is through these very overwhelming struggles. And um, we've talked about it primarily for folks that are the first responder types and the, and the caregiver types, because we know they're on the front lines. And we talked about we want to teach and promote self-care, because to survive it on a on a way a lifestyle and a way of life, a career. A lot of, I'll say this, a lot of um, these frontline workers don't know how to take care of themselves. That is one thing. It's not stressed. No. And I look at it and um, I talk to some of my friends that are first responders and they tell me what they think self-care is and I go, you're kidding. That's all? That's it? Yeah. For what you guys face, that's, that's the best? That's not going to be enough. I, and I say, that's not going to do it. No. But they feel, well, that's what we've been trained to do. That's what we're told is really good. But you know what? They're still, they're good fighters until they burn out. Where they get sick, where they become they become dependent on alcohol and drugs, very common. So, you know, I look at those things and I go, well, for our commitment has been to teach people very specifically on how to take care of themselves during these very stressful times, how to read their bodies, how to understand how much distress they've taken on, and what to do about it to diffuse the overwhelming fear and emotion, and come back to a more stable place, even though. The situations they have to return to haven't changed a bit. If they know how to take care and do the kind of things we talk about, and we've talked about in other episodes, they can go back with a much clearer head. They have hope again, they feel resilient, and they, feel, they don't feel defeated and discouraged. So we've put a lot of time, we're very invested in this kind of thing. Did we ever think we were going to come up against this, though, on this massive level? I, I, don't, I wasn't anticipating it. But it's here. And so we can apply a lot of these principles that we know to this situation. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, Peter and I are returning to the article we mentioned earlier in our podcast. The title is, What Cancer Has Taught Me About Fear. It's from the New York Times, written by Susan Goober, who is a cancer survivor. I want to bring this up because uh, she was the one who, uh, when we were quoting about the difference between virulent and vigilant fear, she brought it up in terms of what do you do that is self-preserving, a healthy fear, versus something that takes over and starts to run you into panic and destructive actions or attitudes. She uh, equated this to not only maintaining physical health, but mental health or emotional health. Um, And how can, and we've been talking about self-care, Exactly. Uh, how can we use healthy fear or self-preserving fear to motivate us to do better in the field of self-care? Mm-hmm. She has some suggestions. 
Um, she said, uh, aside from the things that they had talked about uh, physically, breathing, stretching, and we have talked about different practices, physical practices that help with stress. Um, we, uh, she also brings up uh, the, the idea that you need to be, use some ingenuity. Uh, we can convert fear from virulent to vigilant if we take some creativity to it. We've talked about that a lot ourselves. Um, she calls it engaging in small but innovative enterprises, mm -hmm. which is, is kind of a it's, a, it's a positive different spin on how to put a little structure into your day and into your self-care. And she lists some very practical things. Is it okay if I read some of that? No, that's her. Sure. sure. This, these are her ideas. And, and so uh, we'll just, uh, I'm just going to read. Especially within the narrow circumstances imposed by the coronavirus, it requires ingenuity to discover, I'm going to use it, ordinary undertakings uh, to deal with fear. Uh, on a practical level, consider what activities you enjoy in normal times. She's talking about uh, baking bread, uh, go on nature walks, uh, organize your pictures in your photo album. How many of us have hundreds of pictures that have not been organized? Hmm. Practice the guitar, uh, check out a remote learning class. There's so many offerings uh, online now, including free concerts. Hmm. Um, put together a film festival, take a virtual tour of a museum, cultivate a garden, set up regular FaceTime or Skype sessions with family, uh, hobbies like woodworking, playing games, homeschooling, uh, sitting on your balcony with your neighbors, contribute to a food bank. Uh, she's learning to knit socks. Uh, these are constructive um, activities that could be easy to dismiss and say, this means so little compared to the situation, the crisis that they were in, but there is value in structuring your day with small things that are positive and caring for yourself. Well, it gives you a distraction from always focusing on the fearful information and the fearful things that are happening, and you need to distract yourself. You need to get off. When it's coming at you constantly 24-7, you got to get your mind off and get it onto other things. We've talked many times. Um, these, the kind of things she suggested aren't my style. Um, I am one of these tough guys, so I listen, knitting socks isn't going to work for me. No, we're not going to no, get you needles in yarn. That's not going to work for me. I like to ride horses <laughs> and I fast cars. I like things like that. I like to work out, and yet all the gyms are closed. So developing new routines at home are something that I begin to do and I haven't done since I've been in high school. Uh, in fact, one of, the, one of the very special ladies who works with us, I'm Colleen, um, has now become a certified trainer for, for middle-aged. Fitness trainer. Fitness trainer. Mm -hmm. And you know what? What an opportunity. I've been in gyms for years, and I look at trainers, and I go, I know more than they do. No, I don't. That's what I discovered, because Colleen took a look at what we were doing, and boy, I saw things where I've injured myself over and over again, that just her quickly, seeing what was going on, she could correct it. You need a little modifying. Well. Um, and yeah. modify it mm -hmm. and individualize it. She's going to be wonderful for people. Mm -hmm. um, she's got a real calling for it and a real heart for it. So, was I open to that before? Or are any of my buddies? Uh, I don't think so. They all say the same no, thing. You're and, into your gym routine. And they all now are saying, maybe, I need, maybe, maybe it's, it's time, time for me to learn. Yes. Yeah. Of course, I tell them all about Colleen. But um, I look at that, there's new things that you can do, but you've got to begin to have, feel, get a feeling of 
getting your mind on other things, distract yourself from always focusing on the anxieties and fears of your situations, the unfamiliarity, feeling like everything's out of control. And you, there are so many people, and we've seen this, they just don't know what to do and they get depressed. They get discouraged. They begin to despair. To me, they've been so completely overwhelmed that they're sinking. Now, when I see somebody like that, it's time to get them moving. Not everybody is a self-starter, I know that. So folks that aren't need somebody to come alongside them that is a self-starter and get them motivated, get them moving, get them out of their own way a little bit. Um, for other folks that have had barriers of, uh, I call it defenses, or ways that they've functioned for a long time that were not necessarily healthy, but they got away with it, it does, and it's not working anymore, this is a really good time, even though it's un a very uncomfortable time, for folks to take a good look at themselves, to be honest with themselves, to see the holes in their character and their development, and to be honest with themselves. Stop blaming others or stop covering up. Um, stop professing to be something that you're not. And to just be honest with yourself without so much distraction. And we have been loaded with distraction. It's too easy to be distracted. Well, this is a time when those things begin to get much more revealed. Yeah. It also is a time for people to understand something about stress. That if people allow themselves to stay fearful and anxious, their nervous systems go into hyper-arousal and hyper-alert. The cortisol levels, the adrenaline levels, uh, stay on, they, they're on a high, high burn 24-7, which we're really not designed to do unless we're under a terrible crisis. Um, and you're going to get sick. Your system eventually will it'll break, down. It'll break down. And I've seen caregivers go through this. I've seen first responders. I've seen military people that we've worked with go through this. After a while, they get sick. Um, or their blood pressure goes through the roof. Or they, you know, who knows? But they do get heart attacks, strokes. Mm -hmm. Addiction, substance Addiction use. because the intensity, we're supposed to have that ability intuitively, it's, it's, it's God-given when a situation truly is dangerous and then when the danger is gone, our systems are supposed to like discharge all the energy like a, a primitive animal would do like a deer in a field and come back to a more normalized state. Well, when people are in 24-7, they don't come back to a normalized state and they're in these very high burns. That's very destructive physically. So, um, and for mental health in every other way, it's not okay to do. That need, for people, they need to shift out of that kind of hyper-aroused anxiety state for their own physical and mental health. So to go do some other things and put their mind on some other things for a while. Now, I'm not going to knit any socks, all right? But um, I know other people, maybe they will. I know people that would. And we have people at our place. We work under a lot of stress at our institute, and I've seen people, we always take, make sure everybody takes breaks, and people find ways to distract. Jenny likes to be in front of the computer. Mm, I'm I, not like that. I like to walk. I do. But she's a great walker. I like to walk. And she also works out really early in the morning, so I'm not talking about somebody who's isn't physical. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I used to look at her and say, get away from the computer for a while. Yeah. She likes it. There's that some was parts of it I like, yeah. For me, That's I get true. such a stiff neck. And such a stupid I gotta get out of there. So everybody's different, and we've learned to appreciate and respect each person that works with us. Everybody has their ways of shutting down mm -hmm. and taking that hyper intense state and diffusing it. Mm -hmm. So instead of being in that hyper vigilant state, and it's not just vigilant, which is the right way, but it's out of control. 
Yeah. This is a way to bring it back to It's not something. related to what's happening in the present. That's day. right. Um, we do, I mentioned, I do want to say one thing that we, we have seen during this crisis that's important. People that have had trauma from their past, and we've had veterans that we've worked with and others that have had different kinds of trauma, these crises re-trigger and bring out the emotions of those old experiences. Even folks that we've helped recover, mm -hmm. this is a kind of experience that can bring it back. And that will come, that emotion and that terror and panic comes into the present. And what happens is it distorts and contaminates the normal healthy fears. And these aren't normal healthy fears. And these folks become seriously um, distorted. We, they get sick. We've seen, unfortunately, we've seen some over the years that have killed themselves. We've seen soldiers that were real heroes, couldn't shut down. And they were suicidal and we couldn't stop it. So we, we have seen enough of that too. They just couldn't shut down. No. They would go back to battles where they would go back to things they didn't have to. They couldn't sleep at night because they would replay it over and over again. Well, the folks that we've helped get through that and, come and live a normal life and live pretty decently are getting triggered again during this crisis. Um, and that's not good because their emotions will take them down physically and every other way. Their relationships will suffer. We are seeing a lot of that, that triggering stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. So those folks... Um, they need help. They need somebody to come alongside them. They need to go ask for some help. They need, you need, this is a time when you have to admit the problem is getting overwhelming and I need to talk to somebody and I need to get some help with my body because the body is carrying all this stuff. And it's very hard, we've found, to diffuse this kind of trauma unless you deal with the body and take care of it and let it get rid of that pain. We're big on that. We've developed many, many years of experience with that. We know how to do it. I don't say it's 100% successful, but boy, we can do a lot for many, many people. Yeah. Um, I think people need to learn to pay attention to those things. Other episodes, we taught it specifically what they need to pay attention to. We've gone to. into a lot more detail about how the body holds stress and trauma and mm -hmm. how important it is to not just deal with memories and thoughts, but to deal with what's holding the Absolutely. So right. I think on a massive level, that needs to begin to happen. Yes. Anyway. Yes. I'm getting a signal from Steve. Our producer. Our helpful signal, because we have something new. Aside from the things I usually cover at the end of each podcast, we have something new. We have decided to initiate a GoFundMe campaign. Uh, what we're seeing is a very encouraging, we're grateful for it, uh, response. Our, our numbers are up. Many more people are listening to our podcast since we started talking about the crisis and uh, listening and watching us on YouTube. What we're doing here is we're so grateful that we are so, so well positioned. We're in this place of we are coming to you virtually, you know, through sound, through the web, through YouTube. We don't have to be in your home. You can listen to us, and you are from wherever it is you are sheltered at home. And what we want to do is to be able to do more. And we're, we're working on the, the most shoestring of budgets. And we decided that if we could do a campaign for GoFundMe, we could expand what we're doing, we could make it more accessible, we could uh, uh, offer more resources. We already offer many resources on our website, papers, videos, our podcast. Uh, so we are starting this a new campaign and, and we can also help more people that come we to can help. help we can help more people we would like to 
Peter has a friend, uh, has friends who are a local business who are having to lay off all their workers and we would love to be able to uh, work with them uh, either you know in some way to help support them and encourage them during this time. Uh, it takes unfortunately it takes some funds to be able to do all that we would like to do. We donate a lot of our time but there comes a point where we could use some help and we're asking for your help. We're going to be starting a GoFundMe campaign. This is in addition to uh, the ability to donate to uh, what we're doing through uh, the Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment website, sctraumatreatment.org. There is a donation function there. We'd still love it if you would uh, like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on Instagram. We are on all the podcast channels on YouTube. Um, our website, where you can find all of those, is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Peter or I, we are at 707-781-3335. Uh, we are supported by SCTT, Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, a 501c3. Your email. My email, Jenny, at bernsteininstitute.com. I think I did it. I yeah. did cover a lot. So please help us do more. We want to do more for the people who are out there we and for you. Be, we do want to be more responsive as much as we can. Yeah, you can help us do that. Thank you. Thank you.